How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions or concerns or comments, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. My voice is a little, kind of my nose is a little bit clogged up today, so if I don't sound exactly like I should, maybe you can give me a break. I would appreciate it. Every Saturday, as I said, we can discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, how your house plants doing, potting mix versus potting soil, soil improvement, pruning bugs, diseases, plant and plant removal. Please remember my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it takes physical and mental work on your part to make it through this great marathon called gardening. And there is no sprints. Sprint here, sprint there. It's kind of like, I'm going to go to the Olympics for a second. They have this thing called a relay, and it's like very fast. And only, I mean, I couldn't tell who was running and who who was skating, actually. Because they had two different teams, or four different teams with two members, and they were all, it was nuts. So that's what sometimes gardening in St. Louis in this region is all about, too. But anyway, I appreciate you being here, and thanks to Greg. He's producing today. We're kind of going back a little bit in time. Some of our computers are not quite working right because a lot of the changes that are going on here. So consequently, Greg has to write the names of the callers down and then hand it to me. That's the way it used to be way back in the 90s. So anyway, just be patient with Greg when you call and just tell him your name and where you're calling from, which you don't even have to do that. You can skip where you're calling from. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I've authored five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations, and I also write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And this most recent issue is how to take care of your spring flowering bulbs after they finish flowering. So that's my article for this issue. During the week, I do landscape consulting where I come to your home and do a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage, there's an email address and a phone number. Uh, Prefer the email, but people are calling me. I've been a little bit lacking on returning phone calls because I just didn't want to. It didn't. Whatever. I've been, my nose has been too clogged up to call. But anyway, so I'll get, I'll catch up, I promise. And today's Good Gunning Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. It was pouring this morning, so I know it's a little bit tough to write, you know, out in the pouring rain with a pen and everything else. So I decided to take a walk around my home's landscape and uh, use that for the Good Gardening Stroll today. Northeast corner, that's where my house is, of Christie Park. And uh, Christie Park's filled with pines and oaks and sycamores and some maples and willows and things like that. And lawn, of course. And uh, 
We're on the corner. Our only neighbor is Pam. She sits on the south side. Between our two houses, she's been maintaining a garden space there for decades, way before we even moved in. It's filled in with uh, sedum, live forever, and lily of the valley. And I've added some sedum acre or gold moss to infill some of those spaces in there as well. And now I've sort of taken over the routine care of leaf pickup and things like that. The west side of our yard... Our lawn slopes up from the sidewalk, which is great, and it makes it a little tough to, you know, when the, it's a little slippery, but that's all right. And the zoysia, it's not perfect yet. I keep working on it, so I'm not, you know, I've, I'm one of a realistic, and I'm not going to try to get it all done real fast or anything else. Uh, along the house is a steel edge bed, which is about three or four, three or four feet out from the house. It has rock mulch in it, and I use that kind of to walk around the house and check and clean windows and all that other kind of stuff. There's three trellises there, which I grow annual vines on those. And also there's a small patio where seats where we can sit and look over or overlook the park. And between the house, no, between the street and the sidewalk, the area in that space is all filled with gold moss. And gold moss meaning sedum acre. And it's really, it's starting to green up, so that's a nice part. So that's, you know, it's not going to be flowering and probably until May or so, but it's greening up, you know, quite nicely. So Anyway, spring bulbs, yes. <sighs> They're starting to come up, thank goodness. Some in the ground, some in pots are showing some growth. And all, a lot of my pots, I went into the park and picked up a bunch of pine cones, and I used those for mulch on top of my pots. One gentleman was walking by one day recently. He said, did you put those pine cones on your pots to keep the wild or the neighborhood cats from using your pots for you know what? Or was it an aesthetic thing? I said, no, 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 no. I strictly did it for an aesthetic thing because the cats in our neighborhood are too lazy to climb out a pot. They're just going to use the ground. So anyway, enough of that. Underneath, uh, I've, along the north side of the house, there's a couple boxwood as well, Leland cypress. The mugo pine, which is right outside our kitchen window, I have planted Japanese painted fern, hosta, purple coral bells in there, and a couple other different kinds of ferns, and uh, three, I think three or four different types of hosta. And in the backyard, there's another patio and pots there as well. Zoysia looks pretty darn good back there. Steel Edger runs in that space too. It runs along the garage, and that's where I have some more pots. So I have pots all over the place. And uh, also... Along the alleyway between the garage and the alley, there's boxwood in there showing some winter burn. Hmm. Purple cone flowers, you can't even tell. Lemon verbena is totally blackened by the cold spell that we had probably a month ago now. And uh, let's see, what else is in there? Sedum acre. I'm using that. I use that a lot of different places as a carpet in between all the different plants. So anyway... Lots of stuff going on, and the sweet alyssum, which seeds itself every year, no sign of that yet, but it won't be very long. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Well, folks, a little bit hectic, hectic, but if you got a phone call or a question or concern or comment, 314, you can call us. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Again, if my voice sounds a little bit clogged, boy, the other day I had a really clogged nose. Not quite as bad today. But anyway, Mark is going to be our first caller. Mark, how are you today? Fine. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. 
I uh, hope you feel better. Um, <laughs> Just my nose. It's not me. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I uh, have a yard that I'd like to consider uh, for this conversation a rehab. Mm-hmm. The backyard has some roots and some drainage issues as well. The front yard, I put some drainage tiles in, so I got some work there to do too. Typically, I put a pre-emergent down about the first of March. But this year, uh, I don't want. I, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, subject to advice from you or another expert, the I'd like to. I'm thinking, put down a couple of truckloads of com, of some soil from St. Louis compost and start over again and put some seed and raise it in a little bit areas in the back where I've got some drainage issues. Now, with that as your palate, talk me through this, please. Basically, realize that you know just putting soil and like kind of leveling everything off. Wherever that water is coming from, whether it's your downspouts, the hillside, your neighbors, or anything else, that you know, make sure that you mix whatever you bring in with the existing soil. That will help stabilize it a little bit. Because if you just lay it on top of the ground, it could erode away very fast if we have you know another right. you know strong rain. So that's probably the most important thing. And uh, beyond that, I would say I'm always an advocate of getting the lawn in good shape before I start going after. A weed circumstance. So I think your idea is very good. Make sure that if you put seed down, use a, a blend of seed, whether you're using bluegrass or fescue or whatever you're using. And also, it probably wouldn't hurt on the areas that you know historically have been problematic. Maybe get some pieces of sod and put them in those. You know, put them over those spots and don't depend upon the seed necessarily. And then with the seed area, make sure you use a seed starter fertilizer too. Okay. All right. Super. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. Yeah. I mean, areas that, this is for anybody. If you're trying to do something in sod is going to stabilize the ground a lot more than seed with, you know, any kind of soil mixture or anything else, no matter where it's from. So Nancy lives in Melville. Nancy, how are you today? I am well. And um, I just have a question about my uh, cannabulbs that I had planted last year. When can I Dig those up and separate them to give to others. Uh, so you're pretty sure they survive the wintertime? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that very confidently, did I? <laughs> I'm speaking confidently, yes. Right, exactly. So uh, if you've had luck with them you know, in the past, you know, surviving the wintertime, because that's something that wasn't done until about 10 years ago when people started leaving them outside. And a lot of times they will come back. But what you can do is I would probably wait until the ground warms up a little bit. There's no reason to rush out there and do it. So I'd probably wait uh, until mid-March or so and then go out there at that time. The new growth is not going to start on them yet. But okay. if you know where they are, just if you have a digging fork versus a spade or a shovel, I would probably use those to dig them up because that way the fork will pry them up. And even if you pop them apart, the tubers... It doesn't matter because then you can just give those pieces away. Okay. And if, and do I need to prepare the soil before I put or like reposition them to a different location or give them to someone else? Is there a soil prep that we need to do and how far down do we put them? Uh, basically, you want to go down, uh, you know, two to three inches is about all they need. I mean, putting them right on the surface is not so smart, but two to three inches. Yes. And, you know, the soil... I mean, they're tropical plants, so the, the soil should be a fairly well-drained circumstance. It doesn't have to be, but a lot of times, if it's not, those tubers could rot. So mm-hmm. there are a few varieties that can handle more wet soil, but a well-drained soil, so you know, improve the soil, 
And if you have to add, let's say, organic matter to it to raise the soil level up a little bit, that would be to the advantage of the cannas just in general. Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. Have good a luck. Good day. Well, you do the very same thing. You know, I historically I grow my cannas in pots, but uh, you know, I dig mine up and bring them inside. I put them in the basement every year. So one of these years, I'm going to decide leave some of them outside in the pots and see what happens because. Just out of curiosity. That's how you get much better at it. And you're, if anybody has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is a good time. We're, it's not raining right now, I don't think. But to go out in your yard and just take a quick walk around and see if there's low wet spots. And if there is, keep them in mind because these are areas where you're going to have to either address it with making a rain garden, as I was talking about, or just addressing it. So these low wet spots, what it turns into be is a spot where typical lawn grass is not going to grow. So fescue, zoysia, bluegrass is not going to grow there, but it becomes a weed factory. So then it just becomes really problematic. So you always wonder where the weed seeds and everything is coming from. (sighs) That's, you know, that's one of the places, especially for the warm season weeds. Remember, there's two different kinds of weeds. There's a cool season weed and there's a warm season weed. The warm season weeds are the ones like crabgrass and things along that line. And uh, they just drive me crazy. The cool season ones are the ones that are out there growing right now. So the ones that I continue to talk about, there's a speedwell, there's chickweed, there's henbit, all those type things. Go out and look in your lawn, too, or even in your bed spaces and see if you're seeing any kind of broadleaf weeds there that need to be taken care of because they're just going to explode as the weather starts warming up. Even though they're cool season weeds, this is going to really trigger a lot of flowering slash a lot of seed production. Then those seeds are just going to drop and the plants are going to disappear because once the weather gets hot. So just realize that's going to be the situation. So if you have any questions, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, I'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, again, thanks to Joe Rafferty. He's the engineer that helped Brian Kelly get the call screener up so we didn't have to go back to the 1990s as far as how information was transferred between Greg and myself. Carolyn lives in St. Charles. Carolyn, how are you today? Fine. How are you? Very good. Uh, Could you tell me what kind of of potting soil I can use for my uh, house plants, a Christmas cactus, and a purple passion? Basically, you want potting mix, not potting soil. Potting mix. Mix. M-I-X. So like Scott's has all kinds of potting mixes and all kinds of stuff. Now for your Christmas cactus, they have one specifically for cactus. So it'll come in a smaller bag. I would probably use that. Oh, specifically for a cactus? Yes. It'll say cactus mix right on the bag. Oh. I wasn't aware of that. Oh, yeah. Most garden centers should have it. Okay, and the rest is just potting mix. Potting mix, not and potting that comes soil. In a bag too. Pardon me. That comes in a bag. Yes, right, in a bag. You know, you can get various sizes. You can get a relatively small one, or you can get one that's like, you know, huge. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, so it depends upon how much you need. But I've, you know, I've advocated potting mixes for years and years I know and you years. Have. And I've been, uh, you know, growing things in pots for years and years and decades, really. So you should know. 
Oh, sorry, I lost lost you right there. So you should know. <laughs> <laughs> now, question number two. Okay. Uh, what do you think of? Are you familiar with trees? I know you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about the forest pansy redbud? Forest pansy redbud. Um, well, you know, it has a nice purple leaf. So, I mean, that's the real plus of it. Red buds generally we grow for the spring flowering, and then beyond that, there's not too much to it. But it's not going to be quite as – red buds are relatively slow growing anyway. So it does give you some color throughout the whole season, be it, you know, from a standpoint of leaves. Not fl- It doesn't have an extended flowering time or period or anything else. So that's what you're looking at with the forest pansy. And does it last a long time? I mean uh... – if it uh, if you take care of it, yeah, it should be fine. You know, planting it in the proper spot. Red buds do not like wet soil, so red buds historically they're usually in the woods, uh, kind of in a very thin soil, rocky circumstance. Nothing like the cedars, but you know, kind of in that same situation. But uh, when I was at the botanical garden, there was one that was planted um, probably one or two years before I started there in the seventies. And, you know, the last time I was there, I was still there and looking pretty darn good. Okay. Um, what about black gums? Black gums I like a lot. Black gums like wet soil. Black oh. gums don't have the balls. Like, they don't have to have it, but they have fantastic fall color, very shiny leaves. They are a real plus, you know, to a landscape. They do get big. I won't fool you. But they're real slow growing. Okay. Well, I've been hearing how nice they are. They are very nice, but don't expect a whole lot out of them. Now, they're not related to the sweet gums at all. So, black gum, sweet gum, no, they're not even cousins, I don't think. I see. Uh, Okay, one last question. What do you think about these gator bags that they put around trees where you fill them up and there's a slow release of water? Well, if, if you can't take care of your plant material, your trees, you know, that's a good way. Like if it's a commercial site or something like that, around, you know, here, I don't know. I would just, to me, just to go out there and take a look at it myself, I think they're fine. But it's just, you know, it's just a personal choice more so than anything. All right. Thanks, Carolyn. And now let's go to Gloria. And Gloria lives in Springfield, Illinois. Hi, Gloria. Good morning. How are you doing? Very good. All right. Um... I had some rose bushes removed because they were practically dead. And so now I have some flowers in there. I have daisies and uh, um, cones. And this is my first year. Do I cut them back for the new growth or yeah. just leave them be? No, you see anything from a perennial standpoint, you know, this is a time to kind of clean everything off. You're getting rid of it from an aesthetic standpoint, yes. Now, with if you have like uh, you know the cone flowers or something like that, if they still have the seed heads on them, and you like for them to self seed, you know sh- get break the seed heads off and break them up and scatter the seeds around. Not all of them are going to germinate, but some of them will germinate. And then consequently, by getting rid of all the debris left over from last year, you're eliminating potential disease and insect problems. You may not have any anyway. But those are places where insects or diseases can sort of like survive through the wintertime and then cause problems the following year. And what about the daisies? Uh, same thing. Oh, the daisies have seeds in, in the cone, too? I mean, in the top? Uh, if there's a head there, then they could. Yeah, I don't think I removed anything. I just sort of let it be. Well, just take a look at it and 
you know, if you see a head at the top of the stem where the flower was, just kind of break it up a little bit on your hand, on your palm, and see if that looks like seed. If it does, then go ahead and just sprinkle it around. It may not germinate, but you may get some germination. It's not too early? Uh, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, you could do it now. Maybe wait a month? Well, if, it depends upon you. If the weather's good and you can get out there and do it, I would say just go ahead and do it. Okay. And, the, you know, I have purple coneflowers along the alley between my garage and the alley. I didn't plant purple coneflowers, but somebody three or four houses down <laughs> the alley had them. And the seeds blew up into my bed, and now I got a little colony of purple coneflowers. Oh, wow, how nice. Right. <laughs> Thanks very much. Sure. Yeah, bye-bye. And now let's go to Baldwin and into Michael's yard. Hi, Michael. Hello. Um, actually, with rather than my yard, I've got plants that I'd like to start putting out onto the front porch, um, north porch uh, today, uh, a couple of jasmine plants that are topiaries. And I'm wondering, for time mine for acclimating to sun, typically, what are we talking for time mine? Uh, you're trying, you say you're going to put them outside now? Yes. It's pretty early. It is pretty early, but... Um, they're the last ones to come in um, after Thanksgiving, and the first ones to go out. Ah, okay. It's a covered porch. Oh, okay. Well, that will help some. As far as in, you get direct sun coming in on them? For when they're out on the front porch, no. It's more of a northern exposure. Okay. So uh, they may get some late afternoon sun as it starts to swing around. So I wouldn't be right. too concerned about the sun then. Right, but... It's, but <clears throat> um, after a couple of weeks, I moved them out onto a retaining wall up front. Oh. Now, any place where, you know, a plant like this, if you put it where direct sun's going to hit it, it's going to get sunburned. I won't fool you. Right. right. And so I don't know if you can actually acclimate them to the point where they're going to be able to, you know, withstand the intensity of the summertime sun. If sun's going to hit them for multiple hours during the day, especially any place between like 10 in the morning to 3 or 4 or 5 in the afternoon, they're going to sunburn. I won't fool you. Right. No, but I start them out on the front porch right. where it's covered and there's, uh, you know, just limited sun. Right. Um, but but once you move sun them sun. out in the direct sun, regardless of how long you've left them on the porch, that's mm-hmm. not going to really make that much difference. Okay, because I've had them a number of years and I... I know that I put them out towards the end of February, but I'm not sure when I typically move them out onto the front retaining wall. Right. Um, now, we there are you know, tall trees in the yard. Okay, so there is some uh, shade. Once they start to uh, butt out, yeah. Right. I would say don't move them from a weather standpoint, sun standpoint, anything else, until probably the 1st of May. Okay. And that way they should be fully acclimated to any kind of temperature changes. And if the weather warms up sooner than that, then you could do it, you know, a couple weeks prior to that, a couple weeks prior to that. So it's all weather dependent because you don't want to get them out there and have some kind of late freeze cause problems because I know you're concerned about the sun for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. That sounds fine. Yep. Great. Yeah. So just, uh, you know, it sounds like you've had good luck with them. It's surprising because I have a few things that I move in and out. Uh, Caffer lily is really what it is, Clivia. But uh, if I'm not really careful, regardless of how much I acclimate it to a, sh- a you know shady circumstance, if I put them where the sun directly hits them, boy, yeah, <laughs> then I end up with having to cut out a lot of sunburnt foliage. 
Let's see if we can get another call in before break. Let's go to Sue in Eureka. Hi, Sue. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a pineapple. Uh, I started it from the top of a pineapple, mm-hmm. and I've got a little pineapple now growing. Wow. It. Yeah, it's about, um, I don't expect it to get large. No. Well, actually, it's about uh, four and a half, five inches long. It's a pretty little thing. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm wondering what to do with it. I, I'd like to keep the plant. There's some, some little baby starts uh, along the, um, the stem. Right, along the base. Yeah, along the base. Um, uh, so, so what do I do with this little pineapple? Just leave it alone. Let it go as long as it can. What's going to happen, probably the pineapple, if it continues to grow, will get so heavy that that stem is going to be weak. It won't be able to withstand the weight, and it's going to bend. But I would say just, you know, enjoy it as long as you can. And then, you know, if you become very successful with this, I'll look for you online for Sue's Pineapple Farm. (laughs) Okay. And I kind of missed the call before because I I didn't have the radio up high so I could get your call. Uh, I have a lot of sago uh, sago palms mm-hmm. um, and cardboard palms, um, and I have a deck that doesn't get any well until the leaves come out. Um, so when would be a good idea for me to put those out? They're really large and they do very well outside. I would say don't put them out until the trees leaf out because they're going to get sunburned. Oh, okay. So, be you know, I know people get very anxious because you want to get stuff outside, but you move them right. out to sun and they're going to get sunburned, and then you're going to look at those sago palm fronds the entire time, you know, virtually the rest of the year, they're going to be sunburned. They're going to be brown. I've been through that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing okay. teaches like experience. All right. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Hope you feel better. Yeah. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, we're headed to Cottleville, and that's where Chris lives. Chris, how are you today? Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good. Uh, two issues. We uh, had our entire yard sodded, and I'm wondering... Uh, they didn't roll it when they put it down. They didn't? Too, no. Ooh. Yeah. Is it too late to do that? And how should I uh, try to fertilize it? Uh, basically, what you should do is, if you can, go out there and get it rolled. What to, what the rolling does is just get the root system more in touch with the ground where it's going to actually grow down into. Hopefully, the soil was prepared, you know, at least loosened up or something before they laid the sod down. Because if they didn't, this could be a real nightmare for you. Yeah, it it was. A, it's a new home. It was graded several times, but as far as preparing the soil, they just laid the so, uh, sod down on what was there. You Ooh. Know? Well, you know, maybe it'll, everything will work out fine. But yeah, I would get you know get a roller and roll it down because you want to have you don't want any air pockets underneath where the sod is. Because the air pockets is what dries out the root system, so those spots are not going to be able to grow down into the ground. And then consequently, lawn is like a billion little bitty plants, and a lot of them have their own root systems. So just because the blade next to it has a root system that's in contact with the soil, the other one that's right to it that has an air pocket underneath it doesn't. 
So that's you know kind of what you're looking at. Is it too late to do that? No, no. I would go ahead and do it. You know. Now? Yeah. Right now? Okay. I wouldn't maybe not when it's this wet, but I would do it as soon as I possibly can. Okay. And then probably what I would do, even though it's not seed, I would use a seed starter type fertilizer to try to help this whole thing get going in the right direction. Oh, and what, and what, what I would do even prior to that, I would have a lawn service come out and do something called core aerating, C-O-R aerating. And that takes little like wine bottle corks out of the ground. Then after that was done, I'd spread about a quarter inch of compost, which will fall down in those holes, and try to you know help this whole circumstance out. Okay, what about fertilization? Uh, use a seed starter type fertilizer. Okay, um, one more question. Uh, what would be a good fast-growing privacy tree? Ooh. What kind of, and it's in this, I'm assuming it's probably a lot of a subsoil. So do you need to have it evergreen or can it be deciduous? Uh, either one's fine. So, let's uh, see, fast growing, hmm, that's going to be relatively low. I would probably look at something, if you want a deciduous tree, there's a variety of maple called Amur Maple, A-M-U-R. It's Acer, A-C-E-R, Janella. I'd probably look, it's not super fast growing, but it is fairly fast growing. And if I was looking at something, you know, something that you wanted to have evergreen, I look at some of the, let's say, more the shorter, smaller growing height-wise t- varieties of the evergreen magnolia. Okay, let me write this down here. Okay, very good. Thank you. And another one, if you want to have, you know, an evergreen, and you don't want to have the broadleaf magnolia type thing, look at the cedars, the Fitzers, the junipers, the upright junipers, because they can handle some pretty rough soils. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. Thank you. And now let's go to Matt in Glendale. Matt, how are you? I'm fine, Mike. Hey, I was wondering, what do you think about spring uh, air coriation? I think it's, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think it's good. If you haven't done it, you know, the, the ground is, gets too compacted. And the coriation, yeah, the botanical garden does it twice a year. They do it in the spring and the fall both. So that's yeah, why doing it, you know, one time or the other is fine. If you can do it both, then that would be great. Okay, because I've, do- I've done it in the fall in the past, but I forgot this past fall. And I've read some things that people don't recommend it in the spring because it disrupts the root system or something. But it seems to me it would be beneficial. At this right, point. exactly. It's not going to disrupt the root system any more then than it's going to disrupt the you know, root system in the fall. Yeah, that's so, what I thought. I, I just want a confirmation. Thanks very much. I hope you feel better. Yeah, <laughs> I must... I must feel a lot worse or sound a lot worse than I really feel. But anyway, thanks a lot. Pete's on the road. Pete, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Great. Uh, I put in a uh, new lawn last year, last fall, and it uh, come on pretty good. I kept it watered. But I'm wondering what type of fertilizer I should put on it this year. I mean, it's just now starting to come out. So it's a bluegrass or a fescue lawn? It's a uh, sunshade mix is what it is. Right. I, again, since it's still early in its life, I'd use seed starter type fertilizer. Okay. And uh, what what would be the numbers on those? Um, it, there's there's various numbers, but you you don't need a high nitrogen circumstance. But let's say something like it's let's say the numbers are I want to say five, ten, ten, something along that line. 
okay, because one person uh, recommended like a 624-24. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that's a lot of phosphorus and a lot of potassium, so I don't know if you need that much. That's why I'm continually recommending people getting soil tests, because if you have had a history of putting, you know, fertilizer down with those last two numbers being fairly high, whether it's a lawn service or you doing it, then you could get to an extravagant level, which a soil test would indicate, and that can be detrimental to your lawn just overall. It can dehydrate okay. root systems and other things. So, you All know, right. I would say stay more moderate than that. All right. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. And uh, let's see. Tom on the road. Tom, can we uh, – how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank Great. You. Go ahead. Uh Waterloo, we have yellow dirt and clay. And my question is, several years ago, during the new home purchase, we um, prepared the soil, about five foot by five foot area, dropped in four Zucobia trees, and about a year later, they all received uh, what I'm considering warworms, where the um, the bark just started exploding off the uh, side of the trees, and of course, a year after that, they all died. So we waited a couple years, prepped the soil again, went to a different nursery, and these trees were all... 15, 18 foot tall when we brought them in, uh, tried doing it again from a different nursery, and a year later, they also had more work. So it's like they're fine when they're at the nurseries at the tree farms, then we bring them to our area here, then they receive the more worms and they're shot and they're dead. So I just want to know if uh, there's any, anything I can do about that, or you know, do I try it again? I mean, each time it's been $1,600 to $2,000 right. these trees in, so kind of curious what we can do. Well, first of all, Zelkova's in the elm family. It's pretty tough tree. So you're saying boars are killing the trees that quickly? Yes. That doesn't sound possible. So if the bark is, to me, if to me, if the bark is splitting, that means that the side of the bark that's facing where the most direct sun's hitting the trunk is, it used to be on the back side of the tree. So in other words, a lot of times when you buy trees, there'll be a dot painted on the side of the trunk. And that's the side that should be oriented towards the shade or the sun. Ask the nursery because it, it used to be very standardized, but a lot of times they do it somewhat different. And so if you're planting them or they're planting them, make sure, and if they don't have you know, the dot on them when you're purchasing them, just make sure that you get the dot put on there so you know which side to orient, you know, when whoever's doing the installation to orient that bark because sun scald really kills a lot more trees. Boars are not going to kill a tree, and especially a Zelkova in one year. That's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it happened twice. Uh, in the state of about uh, six years, it's happened twice. Right. So to me, it's they're getting sun scald. It's splitting the bark, and that's what the problem is. It's not boars whatsoever. Okay. All right. I just I'd seen some pinholes, and I wasn't sure if that was a boar worm or, or not um, in the tree itself. Yeah, boar holes are about the size of pencil lead, and they're not really obvious. And they're only going to be in the bottom couple feet of the trunk. They're not going to be any other place. Very good. So sun's gone. All right. I'll uh, pay attention to that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Great. And, yeah, good luck with that. And just, you know, get the orientation of the tree trunk you know, the way it was, because if the north side of the tree trunk suddenly is turned around as it's installed in a new location to the south, it's not used to having that sun just beating down on it all summer long. It'll cause a lot of splitting. Let's see if we can get to Mark and Florissant. Mark, how are you? Hey, hi, Mike. How are you today? Good. Uh, yellow spots in the yard from uh, dog urine. What's the best thing to do for that? 
Uh, probably the just realize it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, maybe uh, you know, go out there as soon as they start turning yellow and put some gypsum on those spots. Okay. And you know, what that does is it kind. Of, I always recommend gypsum for like road salt too. So it's a salty circumstance due to the urine, and what the gypsum does is binds up the sort of the salty quality of the urine, and then it penetrates down deeper into the soil, so it should minimize the amount of damage that happens to your lawn. If you sprinkle the gypsum on, should you water it into or not? Uh, you probably don't necessarily, but, you know, put it so thick that it's, I mean, you look down and you say, well, there's a pile of gypsum. So you want to get it on there enough, but it wouldn't hurt to water it in, but you don't okay. necessarily have to. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Yep. And for everybody else, if you have any questions, first hour is done. Second hour will be coming up soon. You can give us a call at 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. I'm going to go back to the weed circumstance. Oh, maybe I should do this first. Last week, I think our last caller was Sally from Glendale, and she she wanted to raise the beds around her tree trunks. I kept saying, "Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it!" She wants to do it, so I shouldn't have said just don't do it because she also asked, "I have hosta in that area. What should I do?" She. Sally, if you happen to be listening or you say, I'm not going to listen to that Mike Miller anymore. But anyway, pull your hosta out before you put any kind of edger and raise the soil level up. Then you can put the hosta back into the, you know, that location. But, you know, if you don't, if you bury the hosta too deep, they're not going to have the ability to be able to push up and push out the leaves. So, again, I'm sorry for not really answering your question and trying to be the authority and just giving advice. Because advice is great, but if it doesn't fit the circumstance, then it doesn't matter. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after the news. A proud partner of the 2018 100 PGA Championship at Bell Reef Country Club. KMOX, KMOX HD St. Louis. KZK HD3 St. Louis. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.